Welcome to Trifecta Now, Living a Course in Miracles. This is season five, and it's called The Book Club. We're on chapter 17. Welcome back. When we transform our special relationships into holy relationships, we invite God in. The Holy Spirit is happy to transform each one of our special relationships into holy ones. We need only ask. The special relationship is a setup for pain and suffering. Our egos want us so invested in form that if that form passes or leaves us, then we are ruined, broken, and immobile. The ego's defenses are very clear and highly manipulative. If we build another spiritual being up so high that we attach ourselves to that being's physical form, we are guaranteed to feel pain. The holy relationship only asks that we join that connection to this being with God. It asks that we put no emphasis or attachment on form, on bodies. The whole reality of our relationship with God lies in our relationship with one another. When we can let go of the physical ties we think bind us and embrace the spiritual ones that connect every living being to one another, here is where healing happens, where we are already perfect and complete. Today, we'll finish the sections, the last sections of chapter 17, and they are the two pictures, the healed relationship, setting the goal, the call for faith and conditions of peace, the conditions of peace. And then that'll end chapter 17. So let's begin. I'm on page 357 of my book. That's at the very bottom. It's the two pictures. But I'm actually going to change the page and start reading from page 358. At the top, sentence six says, for nothing God created is apart from happiness and nothing God created but would extend happiness as its creator did. Whatever does not fulfill this function cannot be real. Paragraph two says, in this world, it is impossible to create, yet it is possible to make happy. I have said repeatedly that the Holy Spirit would not deprive you of your special relationships, but would transform them. And all that is meant by that is that he will restore them to the function given them by God. The function you have given them is clearly not to make happy, but the holy relationship shares God's purpose rather than aiming to make a substitute for it. Every special relationship you have is a substitute for God's will and glorifies yours instead of his because of the illusion that they are different. You, paragraph three says, you have made very real relationships even in this world, yet you do not recognize them because you have raised their substitutes to such a predominance that when truth calls to you, it, as it does constantly, you answer with a substitute. Every special relationship you have made has as its fundamental purpose, the aim of pre or sort of occupying your mind so completely that you will not hear the call of truth. That's interesting. And that's an interesting explanation of the special relationship, because it's basically saying when we are so focused on a being in this world, that we're, we can't hear God. We have substitute 
substituted God and his word and his calling with a preoccupation on something else. Interesting. The next page is page 359. Paragraph six starts like this. You have but little difficulty now in realizing that the thought system the special relationship protects is but a system of delusions. You recognize, at least in general terms, that the ego is insane. Yet the special relationship still seems to you somehow to be different. Yet we have looked at it far closer than we have at many other aspects of the ego's thought system, and you have been more willing that you have been more willing to let go of. While this one may remains, you will not let the others go, for this one is not different. Retain this one, and you have retained the whole. Paragraph eight near the bottom says the special relationship has the most imposing and deceptive frame of all the defenses the ego uses. Its thought system is offered here, surrounded by a frame so heavy and so elaborate that the picture is almost obliterated by its imposing structure. Into the frame are woven all sorts of fanciful and fragmented illusions of love, set with dreams of sacrifice and self aggrandation, aggrandation, oh my, meant, <laughs> and interlaced with gilded threads of self-destruction. The glitter of blood shines like rubies and the tears are faceted like diamonds and gleam in the dim light in which the offering is made. I like that. That is very uh, depictive of a frame. They're just trying to say that the frame is so fancy. That would be the body that we're so, we're so taken by it that we can't see what is inside. So it says, look at the picture. Do not let the frame distract you. This gift is given you for your damnation, and if you take it, you will believe that you are damned. You cannot have the frame without the picture. What you value is the frame, for there you see no conflict. Yet the frame is only the wrapping of the gift of conflict. The frame is not the gift. Be not uh, deceived by the most. Next page superficial aspect of this thought system for these aspects enclose the whole complete in every aspect death lies in this glittering gift let not your grace gaze dwell on the hypnotic gleaming of the frame look at the picture and realize that death is offered you uh paragraph 11 says the holy instant is a miniature of heaven sent you from heaven. It is a picture too, set in a frame. Yet if you accept this gift, you will not see the frame at all because the gift can only be accepted through your willingness to focus all your attention on the picture. The holy instant is a miniature of eternity. It is a picture of timelessness set in a frame of time. If you focus on the picture, you will realize that it is only the frame that made you think it was a picture. Without the frame, the picture is seen as what it represents. For as the whole thought system of the ego lies in its gifts, so the whole of heaven lies in this instant. Borrowed from eternity and set in time for you. Next paragraph 12, sentence eight says, look at the pictures, both of them. 
One is a tiny pitcher, hard to see at all beneath the heavy shadows of its enormous and disappropriated enclosure. The other is lightly framed and hung in light, lovely to look upon for what it is. Next page, page 361. Paragraph 15 says, the picture of light is clear cut and unmistakable contrast and unmistakable contrast is transformed into what lies beyond the picture. As you look on this, you realize that it is not a picture, but a reality. This is no figured representation of a thought system, but the thought itself. What it represents is there. The frame fades gently and God rises to your remembrance, offering you the whole of creation in exchange for your little picture, wholly without value and entirely deprived of meaning. Paragraph 16, sentence 7 says, The whole reality of your relationship with him lies in our relationship with one another. The holy instant shines alike on all relationships, for in it they are one. For here is only healing, already complete and perfect. For here is God, where he is only the perfect and the complete can be. Okay, so that's the two pictures. So interesting section because it's trying to make us look at basically a frame of reference um, in terms of what we or how we see special relationships. We are touched by and engrossed in the frame, the body. That's what we love or think we love. It's a body we fall in love with. Um, some may argue, no, it's the person's spirit. It's who they are inside. And yeah, I, I would have no doubt that that is part of it as well. However, when you place them more special or above everyone else, then it is a body you are focused on. It's a frame of reference because they are exactly like everybody else. And when you set them apart, you confuse what they are. The next section called the healed relationship starts off paragraph one saying, the holy relationship is the expression of the holy instant in living in this world. Paragraph two says the holy relationship, a major step towards the perception of the real world is learned. It is the old unholy relationship transformed and seen anew. The holy relationship is a phenomenal teaching accomplishment in all its aspects as it begins, develops and becomes accomplished. It represents the reversal of the unholy relationship. Be comforted in this. The only difficult phase is the beginning. For here, the goal of the relationship is abruptly shifted to the exact opposite of what it is or was. This is the first result of offering now the relationship to the Holy Spirit to use for his purpose. Paragraph three, sentence four says, the reason is quite clear for the relationship as it is, is out of line with its own goal and clearly unsuited to the purpose that has been accepted for it. In the its unholy condition, your goal was all that seemed to give it meaning. Now it seems to make no sense. Many relationships have been broken off at this point and the pursuit of the old goal reestablished in another relationship. For once the unholy relationship has accepted the goal of holiness, 
it can never again be what it was. Next page, 363. Paragraph 5, sentence 2 says, Only a radical shift in purpose could induce a complete change of mind about what the whole relationship is for. As this change develops and is finally accomplished, it grows increasingly beneficent and joyous. But at the beginning, the situation is experienced as very precarious. A relationship undertaken by two individuals for their unholy purposes suddenly has holiness for its goal. As these two contemplate the relationship from the point of view of this new purpose, they are inevitably appalled. Their perception of the relationship may even become quite disorganized. And yet the former organization of the perception no longer serves the purpose they have agreed to meet. Paragraph six says, this is time for faith. You let this goal be set for you. That was an act of faith. Do not abandon faith now that the rewards of faith are being introduced. If you believe the Holy Spirit was there to accept the relationship, why would you now not still believe that he is there to purify what he has taken under his guidance? Have faith in your brother and what but seems to be a trying time. The goal set and your relationship has sanity as its purpose. For now, you find yourself in an insane relationship, recognized as such in the light of its goal. I'm going to stop there for a second. That's a lot to take in. But I realized that, um, so the first transformation that happened for me when it came to the um, holy relationship, so from the special to the holy, really... um, really happened with my son, my youngest son. He is special needs and um, I have been his caregiver his whole life. And, you know, always worried about and concerned about his future and what may happen to him and what this world may do to him. (laughs) And to be that protective, I mean, we are with our children, but then to have a special needs child, which already know is the underdog in this game of life. (laughs) And you think this world is so cruel. And I had to let that go. I had to let that special relationship with him go and let it form into a holy relationship where I could accept whatever his faith faith is and fate is that it belongs to God. It doesn't belong to me. I don't own him. He is not... Um, he is part of me, but he is not me, nor am I him. And so I had to take a look at that relationship and that bond, the physical one that we have in this world, and I had to let it go. That was difficult. It took some time. But that's what they're basically asking here is that you have to switch it over. You have to let it go and transform it. So how it gets transformed into holy relationship is you see its connection to God and you see your connection. So I see my connection to my son through God. I know we came together through that process and I know that we found each other in this life through that process. So I have to accept that the bigger plan that God has for us and we have for ourselves because we came here and made a a decision to live in this world at this time, that we had planned it. And no matter what happens to us, we're always going to be together. So this body really doesn't mean anything. It's just part of this journey. So that was a journey in itself for me to get to that point. And um, so I know how that feels, but it is well worth it. Let me tell you. 
So the next section is um, paragraph eight at the bottom says, accept with gladness what you do not understand and let it, next page, be explained to you as you perceive its purpose, work in it to make it holy. Oh, I got to pick up the book. Sorry. You will find many opportunities to blame your brother for the failure of your relationship, for it will seem at times to have no purpose. A sense of aimlessness will come to haunt you and to remind you of all the ways you once sought for satisfaction and thought you found it. Forget not now the misery you really found and do not breathe life into your failing ego. Paragraph 11 says, you undertook together to invite the Holy Spirit into your relationship. He could not have entered otherwise. Although you may have made many mistakes since then, you have also made enormous efforts to help him do his work. Paragraph 12 at the bottom says, the experience of an instant, however compelling it may be, is, next page, easily forgotten if you allow time to close over it. It must be kept shining and gracious in your awareness of time, but not concealed within it. The instant remains, but where are you? To give thanks to your brother is to appreciate the holy instant and thus enable its results to be accepted and shared. To attack your, bro- to attack your brother is not to lose the instant, but to make it powerless in its effects. Paragraph 13 says, you have received the holy instant, but you may have established a condition in which you cannot use it. As a result, you do not realize that it is with you still. And then paragraph 15 at the bottom of this section says, as you give, as you begin to recognize and accept the gifts you have so freely given to your brother, you will also accept the effects of the holy instant and use them to correct all your mistakes and free you from their results. And learning this, you will have also learned how to release all the sonship and offer in its gladness and thanksgiving to him who gave you your release and who would extend it through you. Hmm. That's interesting. So it's basically saying at this point, point in time. It is a leap of faith, right? It's saying, I am going to let the Holy Spirit do what he came here to do. And we have to remember, he did this for Christ. This is what Christ did. This was Christ's journey as well. Christ is our brother. He came here with this same purpose. When he discovered that what his ultimate job was to do was to teach people who they were, that they were eternal beings and that they were living in eternal existence at a time that, you know, had so many other things going on, but it's the same thing. And it's, we have to release these bonds and these um, connections we make to one another that are in this physical realm and that we make these physical bodies become more important than anything else. When we can release that, when we can stop looking at each other as bodies, that's when we're going to see each other. I heard uh, heard someone talk today and they said, if you turn the lights out, everybody's exactly the same. It's only when you turn the light, lights on and you see the bodies that we start to pick apart the differences. 
I thought that was interesting. The next section is called the setting the goal. Paragraph one at the bottom of 365 says the practical application of the Holy Spirit's purpose is extremely simple, but it is unequivocal. In fact, in order to be simple, it must be unequivocal. The simple is merely what is easily understood. And for this, it is apparent that it must be clear. The, I know a lot of people say this book isn't that clear. (laughs) Uh, The next page, setting of the Holy Spirit's goal is general. Now he will work with you to make it specific for application is specific. There are certain very specific guidelines he provides for any situation. But remember that you do not yet realize their universal application. Therefore, it is essential at this point to use them in each situation separately until you can more safely look beyond each situation in an understanding far broader than you now possess. Paragraph two. In any situation in which you are uncertain, the first thing to consider very simply is, what do I want to come of this? What is it for? The clarification of the goal begins in the beginning, for it is this which will determine the outcome. Paragraph three says, without a clear-cut positive goal set in the onset, the situation just seems to happen and makes no sense until it has already happened. Then you look back at it and try to piece together what it must have meant, and you will be wrong. Not only is your judgment in the past, but you have no idea what should happen. No goal has set was set with which to bring the means in line, and now the only judgment left to make is whether or not the ego likes it. Is it acceptable, or does it call for vengeance? The absence of a criterion for outcome set in advance makes understanding doubtful and evaluation impossible. Paragraph four says, the value of deciding in advance what you want to happen is simply that you will perceive the situation as a means to make it happen. You will therefore make every effort to overlook what interferes with the accomplishment of your objective and concentrate on everything that will help you meet it. It is quite noticeable that this approach has brought you closer to the Holy Spirit, sorting out of truth and falsity. The truth becomes what can be used to meet the goal. The false becomes the useless from the from the from this point of view. The situation now has meaning, but only because the goal has been made, made it meaningful. Paragraph five says, the goal of truth has further practical advantages. If the situation is useful for truth and sanity, its outcome must be peace. And this is quite apparent from what the outcome is. If peace is the condition of truth and sanity and cannot be without them, where peace is, they must be. Truth comes of itself. If you experience peace, it is because the truth has come to you and you will see the outcome truly, for deception cannot prevail against you. Paragraph six says, the goal of truth requires faith. Faith is implicit in the acceptance of the Holy Spirit's purpose. And this faith is all-inclusive. Where the goal of truth is set, there faith must be. The Holy Spirit sees the situation as a whole. The goal establishes the fact that everyone involved in it will play his part in its accomplishment. This is inevitable. No one will fail in anything. This seems 
to ask for faith beyond you and beyond what you can give. Yet this is so only from the viewpoint of the ego, for the ego believes in solving conflict through fragmentation and does not perceive the situation as a whole. Therefore, it seeks to split off segments of the situation and deal with them separately, for it has faith in separation and not in wholeness. Okay, (laughs) that, you know, sometimes I read this book myself, and I've read it so many times, and think, wow, there's such an easier way to explain this. So I'm going to try. When I'm reading this section right now, it reminds me of uh, my situation. So I've had a few things that happen have happened along the way in this journey, um, going through this book and learning more and more to live in the holy instant and also live um, the Course in Miracles. And one of the ways that this occurred and this this came to fruition for me was very much what this part is saying about setting a goal. So first goal I had was that I said to myself that I did not want to use the past as a reference point for anything. So I'm living in the holy instant, thinking of this moment, only this moment, no frame of reference of the past to judge anything that comes my way. So in doing so, it takes practice to do this. It really does. I acknowledge that it's taken me years. And so what I would do is I entered into event, I entered into situations with people in my life, and this is family, and we know that family knows how to press our buttons, right? Particularly our siblings. And we allow them and we enter into these conflicts or these discussions or these arguments or whatever they are. And our reaction is sort of typical. And a lot of times with our siblings is they'll go after that reaction because it is so it's so much part of the dynamics of the relationship. So um, with one of my siblings, you know, it, it's very, it was very um, conflictual all the time. And I felt that that person, so here's the judgment that was going through my head. So I felt that that person was always putting me down, always being critical of everything I did. So when I cleared that and said, that doesn't matter, that's gone. I'm, I have no frame of reference, zero. So this person approached me and asked me, actually told me I needed to do something. And I, so my, you know, back, if you go back to the old way of doing things, the old dynamics, what I would do then is react and then say, no, I'm not going to do that, you know, and, and then we're at this stalemate, nobody gets anywhere. So um, her, her approach was very much like, this is what you're going to do. So I very quietly and gently said, well, I would love to do that, but unfortunately I can't. And this is the reason why I can't do it. However, I see that you're having difficulty with this and I want to help. So what can I do to help? Uh, So her response was, well, you can do what I ask you to do. You can just fix this problem for me the way I want it fixed. So again, I repeat it. Well, I'm sorry, I can't do it that way. I wish I could. Um, But maybe there's an alternative. And why don't I find that for you? Well, that she couldn't accept that. She couldn't understand that. So she had to hang up on me. (laughs) I can't talk to you right now with exact words. So I thought, okay, that's fine. You know, that's new. That's a new reaction she got from me. That's not something she's familiar with. So she needed to take that away and process it. So another conversation happened a few days later and she, uh, you know, again, very aggressively said, you know, this is what you have to do. So I said, well, 
here's my situation. And I explained it very calmly, you know, in the same voice I'm using talking to you. And I said, but I know that you can't deal with this right now in the sense that she wasn't able to take on um, what she was asking me to do as well for her, take it back for her. I said, but I think I can fix the situation. So if you will trust me, you can go on with your plans and I will make sure that this situation is covered for you. Like, don't worry, I will have it covered. Now she is, you know, frustrated and she finally agreed. Okay, I'll, I'll let you do it. So I did. And that was it. That th- there was a solution. I found the solution because I took on this. I took on the responsibility to find it, but she had to trust me and trust that I would do that for her, so she could let it go. And I did. Well, that shifted our entire relationship. We have a very different relationship today after that pinnacle moment. And. I noticed, and it wasn't through me preaching or telling her what I did or anything, but I noticed by my reaction being totally different from what she was used to, that she started to mimic my reaction in the way she was dealing with me. So now we don't have any conflict in our relationship. She's my sister. And we have great conversations and we, and even if we get to the point where we disagree, we're able to just to let it go because through that interaction and she picked up very quickly what I was doing and started to mirror it because it was, we were both happy. We were happier as a result of that. And we both gained peace and joy from that moment and from every moment we spend with each other. So that's my best interpretation. I know it's a little bit long-winded, but my best interpretation of that um, is you have to set the goal. So in my case, I set the goal that I wasn't going to react and I wasn't going to set the same thing in motion that always happened. You know, someone would hang up on someone else or someone wouldn't talk to someone else and, you know, maybe time would go by that I would shift. I would change my perception and I would shift the way that dynamic played out and it's changed everything. The next section is called the call for faith. The substitute for aspects of the situation are are the witnesses to your lack of faith. They demonstrate that you did not believe the situation and the problem were in the same place. The problem was the lack of faith. And it is this you demonstrate when you remove it from its source and place it elsewhere. As a result, you do not see the problem. Had you not lacked faith that it could be solved, the problem would be gone. And the situation would, next page, have been meaningful to you because the interference in the way of understanding would have been removed. Next paragraph, which is paragraph two says, there is no problem in any situation that faith will not solve. There is no shift in any aspect of the problem that but will make solution impossible. For if you shift part of the problem elsewhere, the meaning of the problem must be lost and the solution to the problem is inherent in its meaning. It is not possible that all your pro- is it not possible that all your problems have been solved, but you have removed yourself from the solution? Yet faith must be somewhere, must be where something has been done and where you see it done. Paragraph 
three sentence five says the thought of bodies is the sign of faithlessness for bodies cannot solve anything. It is this intrusion of the on the relationship, an error in your thought about the situation, which then becomes the justification for your lack of faith. You will make this error, but be not at all concerned with that. The error does not matter. Paragraph four says only what you have not given can be lacking in any situation. But remember this, the goal of holiness was set for your relationship and not by you. You did not set it because holiness can not be set except through faith and your relationship was not holy because your faith in your brother was so limited and little. Your faith must grow to meet the goal that has been set. The goal's reality will call this forth for you will see the peace and faith will not come separately. What situation can you be in without faith and remain faithful to your brother? Hmm. Next page, paragraph six, sentence four says, no relationship is, uh, no, sorry, no relationship is holy unless its holiness goes with it everywhere. As holiness and faith go hand in hand, so must its faith go everywhere with it. The goal's reality will call forth and accomplish every miracle needed for its fulfillment. Nothing too small or too enormous, too weak or too compelling, but will be gently turned to its use and purpose. The universe will serve it gladly, but it serves the universe. But do not interfere. Paragraph eight says, yet think on this and learn the cause of faithlessness. You think you hold against your brother what he has done to you but what you really blame him for is what he did, what you did to him. It is not his past, but yours you hold against him and you lack faith in him because of what you were. Yet you are as innocent of what you were as he is. uh, Same paragraph, sentence 11 says, there is no situation that does not involve your whole relationship in every aspect and and complete in every part. You can leave nothing of yourself outside to keep the situation holy, for it shares the purpose of your whole relationship and deprives its meaning and derives its meaning from it. Hmm. Next page. These are long sections. Uh, The top of the page, sentence four says, truth calls for faith and faith makes room for truth. When the Holy Spirit changed the purpose of your relationship by exchanging yours for his, the goal he placed there was extended to every situation in which you enter or will ever enter. And every situation was thus made free of the past, which would have made it purposeless. It's purposeless. Interesting that what I just read is exactly what I explained, right? As soon as I gave it to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit extended himself in every situation. So when he entered every situation, then I allowed it to be free of the past. And that's why I was able to deal with my sister in a much clearer, much caring and compassionate way is because I didn't use the past against her or me. The conditions of peace is the next section. The holy instant section, paragraph one says, the holy instant is nothing more than a special case or an extreme example of what every situation is meant to be. 
Sentence four, the holy instant is the shining example, the clear and unequivocal demonstration of the meaning of every relationship and every situation seen as a whole. Faith has accepted every aspect of the situation and faithlessness has not forced any exclusion on it. It is a situation of perfect peace simply because you have let it be what it is. Hmm. Paragraph two, this simple courtesy is all the Holy Spirit asks of you. Let truth be what it is. Do not intrude upon it. Do not attack it. Do not interrupt its coming. Let it encompass every situation and bring you peace. Not even faith is asked of you, for truth asks nothing. Let it enter and it will call forth and secure for you the faith you need for peace. But rise you not against it, for against your opposition it cannot come. Paragraph three says, would you not want to make a holy instant of every situation? For such is the gift of faith freely given wherever faithlessness is laid aside unused. Uh, Sentence five at the very bottom corner says, what has been demonstrated on the next top of the next page has called for faith and has been given it. Now it becomes a fact from which faith can no longer be withheld. The strain of refusing faith to truth is enormous and far greater than you realize. And then the last paragraph in this is paragraph six. When you accepted truth as the goal for your relationship, you became a giver of peace as surely as your father gave peace to you. For the goal of peace cannot be accepted apart from its conditions. And you had faith in it for no one accepts what he does not believe is real. Your purpose has not changed and will not change for you accepted what can never change and nothing that it needs to be forever changeless can you now withhold from it. Your release is certain. Give as you have received and demonstrate that you have risen far beyond any situation that could hold you back and keep you separate from him whose calls whose call you answered. Ah, you know what? It's funny reading this section right here just made me think of that example I just gave you. And that's exactly what I did is I rose to the call. I knew that we were playing this dance. We were doing this dance where we're both left unhappy, unsatisfied, and angry at one another. And we never moved beyond that. We did this for years. And I'm sure a number of you can relate to this. People in your lives that you do the same dance with, where you bring your conflict and your past into every interaction. Well, I can tell you myself that when I shifted, and someone has to, right? And a lot of times through my shift, it caused one in her. I don't even think she consciously knows she did that but it did. And I am so at peace and so full of joy that that happened because I have my sister back and I haven't had her for many, many years. So it has been a lovely journey back home. And we have an incredible relationship now that we haven't had since we were kids. And that's a lot of years that have gone by but really it's an instant because it doesn't matter what the past holds now. It matters that this moment has brought joy back. So I live in this moment. I love this moment. 
And that last paragraph really summed up what you get out of doing that and what a wonderful release it is and a new dawn it is for you when you do that. But it's you that have to extend it. It's you learning this book and understanding this course. That's the power it's giving you. All right, so we are done chapter 17. And that means that we will begin chapter 18 in two weeks time. And that chapter is called The Passing of the Dream. I'll cover the following sections, the substitute reality, the basis of the dream, light in the dream, the little willingness, and the happy dream. My online book club goes on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If anyone is interested in joining, please email me at trifectanow3 at gmail.com and I'll give you the link. Thank you for listening. I can be contacted by that same email address, trifectanow3 at gmail.com if you'd like to ask a question, share a comment, or just say hello. Keep sharing the love. Remember, this is our journey. Let us together find our way. Live in this moment. It's the only one that truly matters. Always love, Denise.